0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's Weekly Sermon Podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Genesis chapter 3, and we're just going to look at one verse. It is possible that you have read this verse before and uh, perhaps just read right past it, or perhaps wondered about its significance. And, And so today, I want to draw your attention to its significance. This one verse that is found in God's curse of Satan in the form of a serpent. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Almighty God, We earnestly ask you for such deeper fellowship of the Holy Spirit who speaks in the blessed scriptures, that as we look to them, that we may perceive your will in what we read and immediately hear in them your voice to us. We ask you for a clear understanding in spiritual things, for more desire to understand, a fuller perception of your promise in the church, that we may become teachable And may love that which you will teach us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Throughout history, man's bias has been of his own time. C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery. Affecting how we see both history as well as the future. Our... I guess we might call it our self-importance, seems to breed a deception of self-improvement. We really do think that we're going to get better. This is where the idea, or what I call the myth of progress, comes from. And it's this myth of progress that leads us to think of the culmination of time as in our own purview. Given the variety of modern media, I would imagine it would be easy to entertain such a view, amusing ourselves with developing events of the day, with titillating speculation. Breaking news seemingly announces the denouement of time. And yet, today's newspaper is tomorrow's Firestarter. Think about that. Given our cognitive biases, it's easy to forget what history teaches us. A good student of history knows that dynasties, nations, families, even individuals become strong and they rise up and they're mighty and then they fall and then are lost Nations that once ruled the known world are known today as, well, at best, vacation destinations. The same can be said of art. The same can be said of culture. The same can be said of knowledge. History repeats itself over and over and over again. Or To put it in our own time, we need to not let our so-called smartphones make us dumber, right? What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. And then he asks rhetorically, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And so, the cliche goes, life goes on, right? History repeating itself with remarkable, maybe almost predictable accuracy. But... This does not mean that there was not a beginning. And it does not mean that there will be indeed an end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And so, it all began. And so it will conclude. Quote, no longer will there be anything accursed... But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will reign forever and ever. (coughs) And so the creation and the new creation accounts are beautiful, aren't they? We look back at creation and we think, wow. And we look at the new creation to come and we think, wow. And we realize that we live in neither. We live in the in-between creation and the new creation. We live after the very good, and we live before the no longer will there be anything accursed. And so if you wonder why life today is not like it was in the beginning, or if you wonder why is life today not like it will be in the new heavens and in the new earth, The answer is found right here in the third chapter of Genesis. Right here in the third chapter of Genesis where we read of the greatest catastrophe, this is not hyperbole, the greatest catastrophe in the history of humanity. We call it simply the fall of man. The fall of man. When Eve, and subsequently Adam ate the forbidden fruit, they disobeyed God's singular command, breaking the covenant of works for all and forever. From righteousness and fellowship with God, they fell, rendering them dead in sin, wholly defiled in body and soul. And as a result, congratulations to their posterity Adam gifted the guilt of sin and a fallen nature. Happy birthday. We are, as our confession of faith describes us, quote, utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil. (laughs) In other words, we're depraved as a species And that's not the worst of it. I've got worse news. Welcome visitors. We're also born enemies of God. The God who created us. Every ancestor of Adam is under the wrath of God without hope, but for the grace of God. And since the fall, we have not progressed In reconciling ourselves to God. But we repeat as a species the same sins over and over and over and over again. As our ancestors who went before us. As our sins are the same, so also is our enemy. The one in the form of a serpent who deceived Eve continues his crafty deception Upon humanity. No, Satan is not a myth. He is a real being. And he is at work most certainly. On and on he deceives. Which, incidentally, is why history continues to repeat itself the way that it does. But his success, and here's the good news, is short-lived. As he is cursed. As he is Doomed as he is defeated, which God revealed shortly after the fall of man, pronounced in these prophetic words. Look at them with me one more time. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity, since the fall, is a certainty. But so is the victory of the offspring of woman. The offspring of woman. Now, that the devil is cursed, doomed, and defeated does not mean that he is without power or ineffective. As we sing in that hymn, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. That's true. He is, as the Apostle Paul puts it, the prince of the power of the air. His domain is the course of this world. His offspring, the sons of disobedience. But there is within God's pronounced curse upon Satan in our passage today... A curious distinction that I want to draw your attention to. A distinction between your offspring and her offspring. Now that word translated in your English Bible, offspring, is the Hebrew word for seed. Or semen. His offspring and her offspring. Her seed, or your seed, and her seed. That's important to note here. And we do not venture far into Genesis before we see this play out. We see this play out in the distinction between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. We see it immediately in Cain and Abel, the brothers. Wicked Cain and righteous Abel. And we know how that played out. We know that Cain murdered his brother. And so... The repetitive cycle of sin continued from Adam's progeny, proceeded not progressive improvement, but more of the same. Until we reach this summary statement, and I find it somewhat comical, it is a summary statement that's in Genesis 6. You know how long Genesis is? You know how long the rest of the Bible, the rest of the 66 books of the Bible By the time you get to Genesis six, you read this summary statement. Quote The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Man's sin grieved God, who destroyed the sons of disobedience, and yet he preserved righteous Noah. And the world repopulated again after the flood through Noah's descendants, filled again, not with righteous people, but what? Well, sinners like you and like me. But God preserved a seed, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Jacob, from Jacob to David, through whom would come a Savior. Not from the seed of Adam, but of a woman. Now think about that with me. Not from the seed of Adam, but from the seed of woman. It's a biological impossibility, right? Right? It's that biological impossibility that led to the miraculous conception. Paul explains it this way in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so, as God promised enmity through Satan's seed, so he promised hope through the offspring of a woman, a promise to be delivered at the perfect moment of God's appointment. It was fulfilled of this promise that the angel declared to the Virgin Mary, saying, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. Born of a virgin that He might not sin. Born under the law that He might keep it. Born not at enmity with God, but of our ancient foe. Born to live and to die and to resurrect from the dead, conquering both sin and death. Born to redeem us from the devil's dominion that we might become children of God. And so this prophetic pronouncement in this verse 15, in Satan's curse, is then, ironically, the greatest news to fallen man. Theologically, it's often referred to as the proto-evangelium, which means the first gospel. And we hear not only of the promised seed of woman, but also of his certain victory over Satan. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In this verse... The Hebrew word that is translated bruise, and it's, tr- it's used, the same Hebrew verb is used twice here, translated both times as bruise, may be understood differently in context. And in this case, I like the NIV's translation of this far better, which translates it this way, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel." Because even though it's the same Hebrew verb, it can be used differently in context. And here's the way a good old boy from Arkansas can understand this. As a snake striking at my heel is really different than my heel stepping on the snake. Because one may inflict pain and suffering. The other, it's over. And so Christ the Son of the Woman came that He might have victory over our enemy. Indeed, what Satan did in leading his offspring to crucify the Son of God, it was vile. But it wasn't victorious. It was deadly. But it was not defeating. The ultimate victory was won by the one whom death could not hold. Scripture says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and so deliver us from his dominion. All who are in Christ have been delivered from the dominion of Satan. As the Apostle Paul put, or rather, Apostle John puts it, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, just as God promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And while we continue in this age, this age between creation and the new creation, the promise fulfilled in Christ means that through faith in Him, we are no longer spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But in Christ, we are truly alive. We are alive spiritually in Christ. We no longer follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, but we follow the king of kings. We follow the Lord of lords and we are being sanctified by His Spirit, prepared to reign with Him for eternity. We no longer live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind. But no, we have been given the Spirit of Christ, and it is by His Spirit that we no longer gratify the desires of our sinful flesh. We are therefore no longer children of wrath like the rest of mankind, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so, while time continues and history repeats itself with seemingly endless consistency, there will be a last day. And every person will stand in judgment before the Son of God. And on that day, The offspring of Satan, as they're described here in chapter 3 of Genesis, the offspring of Satan will be revealed. And then they will be readied for eternal, perpetual punishment. Anguish and suffering even more consistent than their sin in this life. But all who look to the promised Son of hope, all who look to Christ in faith, will be found righteous and right with God. This is the gospel promised from the beginning. The good news of Jesus Christ. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Our hope is in Christ And Christ alone, the offspring of woman, the Son of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that from the beginning pages of Scripture that You have been leading us to the Gospel. And the promise that our enemy would be defeated. And we thank You that in Christ's perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, that Satan's dominion over us has indeed been released, that we have been released from his dominion and that Satan has been conquered. And we long for that day of Christ's return when the completion of our redemption will be and that we will reign and live with our Lord forever and ever. Until that day, I pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us endurance by your Spirit, leading us to always keep in mind the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.